Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Last week, I shared with you that on that day at sunset, last Sunday at sunset, was the beginning of Shavuot, or Pentecost, on the Hebraic calendar. Now, the Gregorian calendar that we live off of today is, the, uh, is, is Pentecost Sunday. But in the Jewish community, they celebrated it last Sunday evening, Monday, and into Tuesday. Shavuot, or what we call Pentecost. We, we were looking at where the church is right now uh, in a post-pandemic world. And so we were asking the question, how to be the church in this post-pandemic time? Hell, we know, is predicting the end of the Christian church in America. And I gave you some stats and, and shared with you how that one in five churches are closing and the demise of the church and Christianity in America. And, and I gave you some information that's being pushed out there to the communities. But then I took you to Matthew 16, where Jesus said, and I tell you. How many knows that it's important what he says? He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So before hell's prophecy, Jesus decreed, hell shall not prevail. Aren't you glad that 2,000 years ago, Jesus decreed it, that I'm going to build my church, and hell can't stop it? So he talked about a nation and a church being born in one moment. The significance of Shavuot or Pentecost, the birth of the Jewish nation in Exodus chapter 19, Shavuot, and the birth of a church, Pentecost, in Acts chapter two. In just a moment, Isaiah 66, he said a nation can be brought forth in a moment, and this is important for us, in a moment. Acts chapter two, it said, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. A suddenly, and a moment, Exodus 19, a nation was born. And suddenly, in Acts chapter 2, the church was born. Think of this. In just a moment of time, God birthed the nation. God birthed the church. It happens, and it happens quickly. The suddenlies of God. That's important for us. We talked about the Tower of Babel. And how that the Tower of Babel, uh, the, the tower in that time, separated mankind through the language of the flesh. But Pentecost united mankind through the language of the Spirit. The language of the flesh divided us in the Tower of Babel, but the language of the Spirit brought us together as we speak one language in this post-pandemic world. Powerful. The possibilities and the powers of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, it said, and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The word enabled there in the Greek means inspiration. Holy Spirit inspired them. He spoke to them and inspired them. And they stood up and they spoke. And this is what we dealt with last Sunday. That on Mount Sinai, the Torah was given instruction. But on Mount Zion, the Holy Spirit was given our inspiration. He inspired the church. Instruction and inspiration. Shavuot, Pentecost. This is what it means to us. The birth of a nation, the birth of the church. Instruction was given, inspiration was given. Shavuot. This is the time that we're in. This is in that feast of the Lord, a time when I believe the church can be reborn in a post-pandemic world. I believe it's time for the church to be reborn. 
and to learn a new language, a new way of doing church, a new way. We have to learn a new language. We have to learn a new way of doing church on this time of Pentecost and Shavuot. We can do this. We can break off of us the curse of Babel or the confusion of 2020. We can see the church reborn. We can unite the brethren. We can learn the language of God and find inspiration to change the world. The church in America needs to be inspired again. The church needs to be reawakened. The church world needs inspiration and that comes through Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, Shavuot, in a moment, in a moment, a nation was born. In a moment, a church was born. And in a moment, God can write everything that 2020 has brought to a place of misalignment. In a moment, Holy Spirit can make it right. And everybody said amen. amen. Too much time on reviewing, but some of you are not here. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, let me read this to you, but out of the Jewish Bible. The festival of Shavuot arrived and the believers all gathered together in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from the sky like the roar of a violent wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire which separated and came to rest on each of them. They were all filled with Ruach HaKodesh, Hebrew for holy breath, and began to talk in different languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Enabled them. Again, enabled means to speak by inspiration to enunciate plainly, to speak with inspiration and to be understood. And all the nations of the earth that were there at that moment, they heard this message in their own language because the Spirit enabled them to speak to people. And this is a time when the church has to speak under inspiration. Rather, it's in religion, rather it's in politics, rather it's in economics, rather it's in entertainment, rather it's in the marketplace. The church has to speak the language that people hear and understand. It's time for inspiration. It's time for the church to learn a new language to learn a new language. The question is being asked, how do we do church in a post-pandemic world? We've got to go to the Holy Spirit and we've got to let him teach us a new language. So let's pick up part two, Shavuot 2021, the rebirth of the church. We know that we're living in perilous times. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. In the last days, and you have to believe that we're, when you get into eschatology, end time events, you have to believe we're in Matthew 24 that talks about birth pains or the days of sorrow. You have to believe that. We're in those perilous times and we see it unfolding on the news every day. The word perilous there in the Greek means hard to bear or weary, wearisome. How many watches the news and sometimes you just get weary with the news? How many watches the news sometimes and it's hard to bear? How many of you have taken a season where you took a break from the news and you said, can't watch it anymore, and you took a break from it for 30 days, 60 days? Perilous times. The word times there, again in the Greek, is the word kairos, of course, which is not chronological time, it's kairos, it's God time, it's a moment. It means due measure. Here it speaks about due measure, when something has reached its fullness. 
It speaks about the time when things are brought to a crisis, a crisis moment. Things start happening quickly, quickly, quickly. Do measure. The cup of iniquity is full. Perilous times, hard to bear. It wearies the people of God. Crisis moment. Things start popping. Things start happening. We're living in perilous times. Let me read you just a clip from an article that was entitled, America's Moral Compass Continues to Decay, January 2019. According to a Gallup poll conducted in May of 2018, 49% of Americans say the state of moral values in the U.S. is poor. 37% of adults say the values are only fair. And 14% they're excellent or good. Only 14% of 330 million people believe, uh, well, that's including children, but uh, uh, only 14% of the adults in America, of 330 million people, believe that our moral values are headed in the right direction. In Edward Gibbon's final volume of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, three of the five major causes he identifies behind the fall of one of history's greatest empires that today's America currently identifies with is the breakdown of the family, insatiable craving for pleasure, and the decay of religion. Now, so he compared the fall of the Roman Empire with America, and he sees three things that are are similar. The breakdown of the family and craving for pleasure and neglecting of religion, the decay of religion. Perilous times, perilous times. Now, if you're not depressed, then just hold on. (laughs) Perilous times, 2 Timothy chapter three, perilous times. But let me just go a little deeper into that chapter and it's gonna get better, so hold with me. But let me go a little deeper in this chapter and let me read to you how he described the people of this perilous time. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of family and not lovers of God. These are the perilous times that we, that Paul described in the last days, hard to bear, hard to bear. And it would be starting to happen quickly, quickly, just crisis, crisis, crisis. Now I want you to listen to me because this is probably the most profound statement I'll make all day. I want you to grab it. If you, if you don't get anything else I, I say, I want you to grab this one. Talking about perilous times and lovers and lovers and lovers. Think of this. Perhaps when the church speaks the truth apart from love, then the world seeks love void of truth. Is it possible? When we preach the gospel apart from love, then that forces the world to seek love void of truth. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Think about that. Why people leave and how to help them return to the church. Tom Rayner out of the uh, uh, article, Church Leaders. The unloving church is what it was called. Of the formerly churched who expressed dissatisfaction with those in the church, 45% said the other members were, as they called it, judgmental critical, standoffish, hypocritical. They, they didn't love as they should have, 45%. Talking about the American church. Ephesians chapter four and verse 14, listen to Paul. Then we no longer will be 
infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become a new respect. We will, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now look at this. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, uh, we will no longer be this, but instead we're going to be this because we're going to speak the truth in love. Now remember what I said. Perhaps when the church proclaims the truth apart from love, then the world seeks love void of truth. They seek love in all the wrong places because in the church, we didn't give the truth to them in love. Think about that. Is it possible? Is it possible? Know this, love will always tell the truth and truth should always be told in love. Now, when I was a boy, my pastor, uh, who was that considered a part of the greatest generation, fought uh, World War II in the Pacific Theater. He was out there for three years, Guadalcanal, Peleliu, shot, sergeant, Marine Corps, tough guy. Comes back, has a radical conversion. God calls him to preach. And he taught me as a boy that truth will always, excuse me, love will always tell the truth. So he challenged me to always preach the truth, Randy. Love will always tell the truth. If you love someone, tell the truth. I remember him sharing a story years ago, uh, and I've, I've shared it here before, but it, it just serves uh, repeating. But he had, he was, my pastor would, would fast every October for 30 days. He would fast and pray. And in one of his times of seeking God, he had a vision. And in this vision, he saw a man running through what looked like liquid fire. And so he would reach down into the flames and he would pull somebody up and look them in the face and he would cuss and throw them aside. And then he would run again and he would pull somebody up and he would look at them and cuss and throw them aside. And my pastor cried out in this vision, what am I seeing? And God said to him, you're looking at a, you're looking at a man in hell looking for a preacher that lied to him. And so he always told me as a boy, love will always tell the truth. But as I grew... And I begin to preach and I begin to minister and, and I begin to, to preach the gospel. And, and I look back on my early days and there were so many times when, when I would growl at people and, and, uh, and, 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 and preach it so hard, so hard. And, and, and there's, there's a time and a place for those messages like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I mean, those old classics that we, we young preachers preach and we would take people and dangle them over hell and, and, you know, just scare people to death. And, and I get that. I mean, I, I understand you gotta, you gotta speak the truth. But as I grew, I, I realized that, that love will always tell the truth, but truth must always be spoken in love. Jesus was very honest with people, but Jesus always did it with love. Paul said that we will preach the truth in love, and by that we will grow and become the mature people that God wants us to be. Think about that. When you look at Ephesus and the book of Revelation, there's seven churches, seven letters. And when you look at Ephesus, and chapter two of Revelation, you find that this is the church that had a lot of head knowledge, but they lost their heart. Head knowledge, no heart. The word Ephesus actually means desirable. Now understand this church during this time. This was a strategic church. 
250 to 300,000 people, Seaport Financial Center and Revival Center, they were the ones that had the revival in Acts chapter 19. The Ephesus church was the most powerful and influential church in the world at that time. Now, these guys had first love at one time. Tongues, prophecy, miracles, evil spirits were dealt with, burned magic books, uh, in today's numbers, about $5 million, idols forsaken, and they experienced a three-year revival. Jerusalem church had been scattered for 25 years, 70 AD, and the body of Christ is now looking to Ephesus for direction, for direction. And so understand this church, influential. They went through a three-year three -year revival. They were considered a spiritual church. They had a lot of information. They had a lot of experience. But God looked at them and said, you're a church with a lot of head knowledge, but you've lost your heart. Okay, hold with me. The thing that came against them was a religious spirit. Revelation chapter two, verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The word forsaken there in the Greek means long neglect. They were fervent in work, but oftentimes that can result in neglect and intimacy. It's been 40 years since Acts chapter 19 and their three-year revival. And this second generation has maintained the structure of revival, but has lost the passionate love that comes from revival. Now hear me well. My first point was this. My first point was this. That love will always tell the truth, but truth must always be spoken in love. My second point is this today. That there's a danger to come out of revival and maintain the structure and yet lose the passion and the love of that revival. 40 years since Acts chapter 19, a three-year revival, and the church at Ephesus had lost their passion. They had the head knowledge of revival, but they lost their heart. He said to them, you've lost your first love. Your first love. They had a love for, for miracles and they had a love for prophecy and tongues and they have a love for, for dealing with the demoniac and seeing a move of God. They had a love to see people's lives transformed, but he said, you've lost your first love. A lot of knowledge, a lot of structure, but you've lost your love for the things of God. You've lost your passion. Think about this. Revival love. Let me tell you what revival love should do for us. It should... It should cause us to love him more, to love each other more, and to love the lost. Revival, revival love. We're talking about Shavuot. We're talking about Pentecost. We're talking about the birth of a nation. No, 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 no. We're talking about the birth of a church. We're talking about the giving of the Torah, which means instruction. Uh, we're talking about inspiration that comes from Holy Spirit. We're talking about the church in a moment can be changed, reborn. In a moment, the church can restart, restart across the nation. It's Shavuot, it's Pentecost. It's, it's possible. It's possible that we do this. We're talking about a people that are looking to break off of them the curse of Babel, the curse of of confusion of 2020, the curse, the year that divided us over the pandemic, over the rioting in the streets, over the presidential election, the curse of 2020, 
and how that it ripped our churches apart. We're talking about putting that behind us. We're talking about the church being reborn. We're talking about the church getting a new start. We're talking about being born again. We're talking about the church the church as it was born on, on uh, Shavuot, Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. We're talking about it being reborn in 2021. We're talking about that. We're talking about love that will always tell the truth, but yet truth must always be told in love. And we're talking about this church in Ephesus and how that they had experienced revival 40 years earlier, but they had lost the love of that revival. He said, you've lost your love, your first love. First Corinthians 13, one, if I speak in the tongues of men, of angels and do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. That is one of the most profound scriptures that I can speak with the tongues of angels, that I can prophesy, that I can have faith that move, moves mountains, but yet if I don't have love, he said, you failed the test. Yeah. Guys, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. Yes. Now, I'm just telling you as a revival boy, as a boy that experienced revival in his lifetime, I love revival. I love it. I love when God comes down and the miracle of Pentecost is not that I speak in tongues, but that God gave me something to say. The miracle of Pentecost. I love revival where there is a spirit of prophecy that stands up and it declares the word of the Lord and there's the word of knowledge and people's lives are transformed. I love faith that can move mountains, that can bring sinners to, to repentance, that can see miracles, signs, and wonders. I love the spirit of revival. But he said, if you get all of that and you miss the point of love, he said, you failed the test. He said, you're nothing. Think about this. Stay with me. The power of Pentecost, tongues, the gift of oratory, prophecy, the gift to see, faith, the gift to believe. Shavuot and Pentecost is about more than instruction and inspiration. It's about agape love, the fuel and the motivation for the gifts operating through us. Our gifts should be fueled by agape love. My preaching should be fueled by agape love. Prophesying should be fueled by agape love. Gifts of healing should be fueled by agape love. Agape love, the God love as we call it, the God love. And the Greek, it speaks about that which is unchanging, selfless, undemanding, given freely, sacrificial, does not demand repayment. This is the way we are to minister. Now, come on, you Pentecostals. We like to lay hands on people. We like to prophesy. We like to speak in tongues. We like to interpret. We like to see signs, wonders, and miracles. But he's telling us everything you do needs to be fueled by love, a God love, a love that is not self-promoting. Listen, how many times have I said to you, one of the current concerns I have in America is how that we take the experiences of God, we take revival, we take it and we package it, we slap it, we, we slap a, a, a branding on it and we package it and we sell it. Got to be careful with that. Got to be careful. Selling things in the marketplace. 
Selling the move of God. Selling it, marketing it. We have to be careful. The motivation of Pentecost. Listen, the motivation of Pentecost. Tongues without love, he said. People resent and reject unloving words. You see, I can speak with the tongues of angels. I can be a great orator, a wordsmith, and I can move people. But if it's, if it's not done from a place of love, people resent it and they reject it. Prophecy without love. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. He said, though I prophesy and I have all knowledge and I have all insight and I can see things, but if you don't do it from love, he said, it means nothing. It has to be fueled. We're talking about the fire of Pentecost and the fuel that feeds it is love. Moves me to do what I do. Faith without love. People are intimidated by religious, super spiritual people. How many times have we said that? Faith that can move mountains, move mountains, make things happen, shake the world. But yet, if it's done without love, it doesn't inspire, it intimidates. Super spiritual people, religious people. Listen, it doesn't inspire people. It intimidates them. And that's why I referred earlier to when I was a young preacher. I preached it. You know, looking back on it, though... My heart was always right. It was just my delivery was wrong. My heart was right. I wanted to help people. But yet I preached it the way I knew. And that was, you know, uh, at hellfire and brimstone. And there's a time and a place to preach on hell. We don't do enough of that nowadays. People need to be warned, the Bible says. You have to warn people. You have to tell people the truth. But you have to do it in love. But back then, so many times it came across as me growling at people and, and just coming at them and, and just, it's almost like you're going to hell and I'm glad for it. You know, <laughs> come on guys, you remember what it was like. You remember what it's like. Pentecost. But there has to be a love that fuels that. I think we need more men like Jeremiah who wept as he preached. Weeping prophet. Love that will always tell the truth, but truth that's always told in love. The motivation. 1 Corinthians 13 again. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Love keeps loving after prophecy fades away. Love keeps loving after tongues fall silent. Love keeps loving after words of knowledge are forgotten. This is love. And that's the power of Pentecost. The fuel behind the Pentecostal fire is the unchanging, selfless, sacrificial love of God. The fire of Pentecost has to be fueled by love. Has to be fueled by love. Think of this, agape love. Not phileo, not, not friendship. We're talking about agape love. Agape love, that love of God that is selfless, it's undemanding, that will stand before people and will proclaim the truth, but do it in love. Perhaps this is the new language that the church must learn. Perhaps this is our new Pentecost. Perhaps the church needs a new visitation of God 
perhaps, just perhaps we need in this post-pandemic world coming out of 2020 and all the confusion and all the division and all the fighting and all the, all the stuff. I've never seen in my lifetime, and I've been preaching since I was 15 years old, I've never in my lifetime seen such division in the church as I did last year. Over the pandemic, over the race riots, over the presidential election, over the storms that took place, 30 named storms in America. It was a tough year. And it divided the church. It divided people. And we, we need to realize that when that thing blew in, that COVID-19 blew in, it, it was something the enemy took and he used it. And there was a spiritual dynamic happening across this nation. And today, the church, the church is struggling. And enemy, the enemy, hell is, is predicting the demise of the church. But Jesus said, 2,000 years ago, it ain't going to happen. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't lock it up or keep it out. I'm going to do this. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. The church will be the church. And listen, the church, it's his bride. Love will always tell the truth. But truth must always be spoken in love. I, I remember, I was telling somebody just the other day, we were just talking about things. And I remember here a number of years ago, I was at home praying. And it was one of those days I'm walking to the house praying and God spoke to me. He just, it was one of those moments, just bam. You know it's a word from the Lord. He spoke to me and he said, Randy, you be careful the way you handle my bride. The church is his bride. The church is his bride. And I have to be careful how I handle that bride. We can't come in here and be rough, slap it around, kick it around. If you, if you, grab, if you did that to my wife, I'd climb up all, I'd get all over you. I've gotten on men before who just was cussing in front of my wife. And I threatened him, said, I'll knock your head off if you don't apologize to her. I'll climb your ladder and I'll slap you up and down. I've done it more than once, I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry, a little transparency, a little moment there of confession. Tell you something. You're not going to slap my wife. And don't you slap around God's wife. He said, Randy, be careful how you handle my bride. Tell her the truth. But tell her in love. Be moved by a copy of love. Now, I've got you where I want you to be. I got 10 minutes to land this plane. Here we go. Love will always tell the truth, but truth must always be told in love. First point. Second point, the fuel behind the Pentecostal fire is the unchanging, selfless, sacrificial love of God. Men and women that are willing to lay down their lives for others, lay down their lives. This is Pentecost. Third point, and I'm done. Let's talk about the outpouring of Pentecost. Number one, the what of Pentecost. It was an outpouring of love. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Think about that. On Pentecost. Holy Spirit was given, the love of God is poured out. Now, 
The love of God poured into our hearts. The love is described in John chapter 3, verse 16. The love of God poured into our hearts creates enlargement encompassing the entire world. Let me tell you what the love of God does for you. When the love of God is poured out into your heart, it enlarges your heart and it makes room for everybody. For God so loved the world. That word world is the word cosmos in the Greek. It means the earth, the dirt, all the possessions of the earth, but it also means the people. For God so loved the cosmos, the people, that he gave his only begotten son. He gave everything. And when I am filled with the Holy Spirit, when he pours out his love into my heart, that enlarges my heart and makes it possible for me to love the whole world. Black, white, brown, Democrat, Republican, independent, educated, uneducated. Come on. Can we do it? Christian, other, agnostic, atheist. It means all of them. Gay, straight. It means all of them. It means I can love them all because that's agape love. That's the love that can love the entire world. And that's Pentecost. Pentecost is not just about fire and coming out and, and signs and wonders and miracles, but it's about the fuel of that Pentecostal fire, which is the love of God that compels me. The love of God. Look, this is what happened on Pentecost, an outpouring of love. Number two, the why of Pentecost, compelling love. Second Corinthians 5, for it is Christ's love that fuels, compels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. Look at that. It is the fuel that compels us, that compels. It is the fuel of our passion. It is the fuel of our motivation. You see, there is, now listen to me. Now I, I'm going to give you a warning, okay? Just, just here's a warning for you. There is an irresistible love that leaves you with no choice. There's an irresistible love that leaves you with no choice. When I was born again, don't know your story, all I can do is tell you mine. But when I was born again, born again, born again, I didn't join a church, I got born again. Got it from that altar, changed, transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Born again, had the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart, had the Holy Spirit. A week later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit where that gifting was released in me and it flowed through me like a river of living water. And that consumed my life. It was the fuel for my passion. It was the fuel for my motivation. It compelled me. I couldn't help myself. It's an irresistible love that leaves you with no choice. I don't relate to convenient Christianity. Serve God when I want to. Help people when I feel like it. Show up when I'm ready. I don't relate to that. There is something that compels me every day of my life to face this world and to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ to make a difference in people's lives and to see the world transformed for him Amen. compels me. It fuels me. It compels me where I have no choice. Not only to serve him, but to help others. Irresistible love. It'll mess with you. If you don't want to get your hands dirty, 
you don't need to listen to this message. If you don't want to get involved, then you need to tune me out. If you Listen, it's like Isaiah who went into the temple and he saw the Lord and he said, I am all undone. He says, I am useless now. Church will never be the same. Church will never be the same for Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Once you've tasted of the power of a world to come, once you've been in the river, once you've experienced the fire of God, the anointing, once you've been in that, you can't go back. Irresistible. This Pentecost that fell was fueled by the love of God to where in Acts chapter 2 it said they brought all of their possessions and laid it at the feet of the apostles and said, here, take everything. Just let's get this gospel out there. The love of God, he said, compels me. The love of God is the fuel that feeds my passion, that feeds my motivation, the love of God. Whenever, whenever you experience the love of God, it will mess you up where you go now to the mall and you sit there and you watch people and you're trying to figure out who is that person and do they know Christ and I wonder if I could talk to them and, and, and wherever you go now and Walmart or Kroger or wherever you're at, everything changes. You start looking at people differently. You start watching the news differently. You have a, pers- a, a prophetic perception or you, you begin to see things differently. Things begin to change. You see the world differently. You have a biblical worldview. It's because of the love of God that compels you. And this is Pentecost. The why of Pentecost. You can't help yourself. For God so loved the world that he could not help himself. In regards to you, for God so loved you that he can't help himself. And that's where we should be. For I so love my brethren. I so love the world that I can't help myself. I can't. The how of Pentecost. It's incorruptible love. The how of Pentecost. The incorruptible love. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love. Listen to me. It is incorruptible love. I say that because in Acts, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul talks about uh, corporate worship and the gifts of the Spirit. And and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he brings clarity to what those gifts are and how they should be used. And right in the middle between these two is 1 Corinthians 13, which is charity. So corporate worship, clarity, and charity is in the middle. It binds them together. Everything we do, everything we do, should be fueled by the love of God. That's why I've said to you before, laying hands on people and seeing miracles is a dangerous thing. Getting insight is a dangerous thing. The spirit of prophecy, the, spirit, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, those are dangerous things because they have a tendency, if not managed correctly, to corrupt the individual. We have to be careful with it. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And so the way we deal with this is the love of God. The love of God, charity, love that is not self-seeking, that is not demanding, that doesn't demand repayment, love that prefers my brother before myself, and that even means in COVID-19, love that prefers my brother, that yields to my brother, that makes way for my brother. This is what the fuel for Pentecost is. It fuels us, and it keeps our gifts from becoming corrupted 
incorruptible gifts. This is the how of Pentecost. This is how we manage this thing. Revival scares me. The gifts scare me in the sense that could it corrupt me? Could it? And the way we control that is by the love of God that keeps us from being corrupted. And then last of all, so what do you do with Pentecost? It's called sacrificial love. Leviticus chapter three, listen to this. Then Aaron's sons, speaking of the fellowship offering, is to burn it on the altar, the fat of the fellowship offering, is to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is a food offering and an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So let me just explain it. Leviticus 3, God says, you, 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 you build the brazen altar, you put the wood in, uh, God, the fire falls and lights it, and then you put the sacrifice on the, on the altar, but then on top of that, you put the fat of the fellowship offering because when the fire hits it, fat begins to melt and it turns into oil and it, it flows down and it causes the fire to flame up. So we know that the fellowship offering, the fellowship offering is the oil that fuels the fires of revival. We know this. Fellowship, the brethren, the love of God. The melting of our heart releases the oil of the spirit and feeds the fire revival. So my third point is this. The love of God is not the results of an argument, an argument that's won, but it's the results of an experience received. The love of God, Romans 5, 5, is poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit. So you're not going to get the love of God through an argument. You're not going to get the love of God through just knowledge. You need to understand that the love of God is the results of an experience. It comes from the Holy Spirit. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he said, the love of God is poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So you need to understand that God wants us at Pentecost to be filled with the Spirit. He wants us to be filled with his love. It is an experience. It is something that happens. Listen, I can't love the world the way I need to without his help. That should take tremendous pressure off of us. How do you prefer your brother before yourself? He will help you. How can I love the unlovable? He will help you. How do I love the world that rejected him? He will help you. Poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the love of God. Stephen, come help me. So you see, three points. Number one, your takeaway today your, your, your takeaway from this message today is number one, love will always tell the truth and truth should always be told in love. The second point is that the fuel behind the Pentecostal fire is the unchanging, selfless, sacrificial love of God. And number three, this love of God is not the results of an argument won, but an experience received. I receive the love of God. I know, look, I speak in tongues, my prayer language almost daily, almost daily. And I appreciate what that does for me and the purpose it serves. But we also need to make sure that we're seeking after his love, the love of God that's poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We need to constantly be seeking that experience of that love. Another One translation in Romans 5, 5 says, his love is cascading into our hearts. How many times have we gone into our prayer time and we've said, Father, 
baptize me with your love. Fill me with your love. Help me to love the unlovable. Help me to love those that would hate me. Help me to pray for those who despitefully use me. Help me to turn my other cheek when a man strikes me. Help me. Help me to love in a way that only you can. Think of that. Pentecost. Pentecost. The love of God poured out into our hearts. Philippians 2, verse 2 reads this way, and I'm done. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy, united in one love. One love. This is Shavuot. This is Pentecost. Perhaps you've never heard a message on Pentecost that talked about the love of God. But that's where we are right now. Last week I talked about the concerns that pastors have across the nation according to George Barna, who is the expert on the stats of churches. And he does a lot of research. And the number one concern of pastors coming out of 2020 is unity in their churches because we were divided over the pandemic, racial rioting, and the presidential election. It divided us. And so they're concerned about it. But let me tell you the answer to that is the love of God. We need an old-fashioned revival where the fire of God falls and God's people are baptized once again, not just in the Holy Spirit, but in the love of God. You have to understand that the, the Jews, I'm reading a book now called, the, uh, it's dealing with the, the love for the Torah, uh, Robert gave it to me, but it, it, it talks in there in the first part of the book, how that the Jews look at the giving of the Torah as a gift from God. It wasn't, they didn't perceive it as legalism. It's not perceived as legalism. It's perceived as God telling them the truth and telling them the truth in love. It's, it's giving them, they saw it as a gift. It's instruction. The word means instruction. It's a gift that this is your love letter to us. And, and that's what we need right now on this Pentecost. We need to see the word of the Lord instruction as love. It's his love letter to us. Like he wrote to the church at Ephesus, a love letter. He says, listen, you did really good, but you've lost your first love. And, and I, I want to help you with it. I, I want to help you with that. We need to have our first love restored. You see, Romans 5, 5 said, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. So there are people in this room and watching online that you, you feel that what you hope for, you, you feel like what you hope for was a sham, a shame, a sham, okay? You hope for something. You hope for God, you hope for people, you hope for church, you hope for leaders, you hope for your family, you hope for life. But it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. And so you're, you feel like it was just a sham. And so again, listen to his words. And hope does not put us to shame. It's not a sham because of God's love has been poured out in our hearts. You see, you know how I can keep going and not give up? When things don't work out the way I think they should, when, when, when God doesn't seem to show up when I think he should, 
Whenever I feel like God doesn't care, whenever I feel like people are letting me down, when I feel like leaders are letting me down, when I feel like parishioners don't care, when I feel like people in the community don't care, when I feel like my family doesn't care, when I feel like, like the church is just, listen, you know, the church in America is so messed up. Let, let's just give up on the whole thing. You know what keeps me, you know what keeps me from all of that is the love of God that's been poured out in my heart. You know what keeps me, I've said to you a thousand times, you know what keeps me walking in righteousness and integrity? I've said it to you many times. It's not just because I'm such a wonderful person. It's because when I am faced with temptation and the consideration is even there for a fleeting moment, it's the love of God in my heart that keeps me from losing my righteousness because at the end of the day, when prayer's not working, when the word seems to elude me, when people seem to fail me, when the church seems to be absent, when things don't seem to be working out, the thing that holds me, my rock bed foundation, is I love him. His love compels me. It's the fuel of my soul. When people hurt me, reject me, betray me, stab me in the back, what keeps me going? It's his love compels me for them. What would cause Jesus to suffer the way he did and go to the cross and then say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His love compelled him. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.